Take your Bibles and go to Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, we actually started this back in October in our series on Psalms 2. And cut it off pretty quickly. Uh, just because the Lord led to do some other things. When the Lord needs to do other things, you do other things. Okay, and that's, that's how it goes. But um, now I just uh, feel like getting back to this now for a little bit. That's what God have us to do. And so we are in Psalms uh, chapter 2. Um, and I've titled this message, Aha, You're Caught. And you say, well, what in the world is that about? Well, you'll have to listen, okay? Uh, so uh, we'll be on this t- this morning and again this evening. So don't miss out on that uh, tonight as we follow up on what we uh, start on this morning. Now, looking at Psalms chapter 2, and I'm just going to say this before we uh, get into it, is that uh, Psalms chapter 2, I look at that, is really a prophetic book, a chapter, should I say. It is looking, I believe, at things that uh, are in the tribulation and even the millennial reign of Christ. And you'll say, ah, are you sure about that? Very sure. I believe that God teaches us that in this uh, passage and we want to see those things of the future that are in it as we get into it. And, and so that is what we want to do. Now, I do want to do a kind of a review of what we've covered so far, which was back in October, and then we'll really get into uh, it. So we'll start off with the first uh, few verses just to kind of get a review here, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray now as we preach your word, I do believe, Father, this is what you want me to preach, but Lord, even though you want me to preach it, it's got to be thy Holy Spirit that really takes the message home to every heart. I pray, Father, that you would do that exactly in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we read in these first four verses, and that's the way I'm going to start out, is why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Now, keep in mind, the heathen are the unsaved. Now, in the day that this was written, the heathens were considered uh, a pagan Gentile or pagan Gentiles. And since the word is actually plural, it is looking at groups of people, even nations, as just the heathens. But then that means he not only mentioned the heathen, he also mentioned the people. And the people in verse 1 refers to the people of Israel or the saved. Now, just because they were Jews, just because they uh, had the sacrifices and everything else, every person that was saved in Israel was saved by looking forward to the Messiah. Now, they were taught from babes, a lot of them, um, about the sacrifices, the Ten Commandments, various commandments throughout the Scriptures. They were taught those things. But that doesn't mean they were saved. So not every Jew was saved. But they were the people of God. They were the chosen people. And so that's why they're referred to that way in this passage. So as a group, uh, a lot of them were doing the things that the heathen do. That is the ones who really didn't live according to the word of God. Those who were not really looking at this coming Messiah in the 
point of saying, okay, this one who's coming is going to die for our sin and it's going to pay our penalty. We're going to put our faith and trust in him. Uh, that wasn't really uh, behind it to, uh, with a lot of them. And so they will reject the holy things of God's standards. Many of those Jews did. That has nothing to do with the Jewish faith because the word of God was there. They had already been given the law. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with the individual. You can be born in a Christian home, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You see, you've got to be saved. You have to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Being born in a Christian home doesn't save anybody. Okay, being baptized as a baby or even as an adult, if you're depending on the baptism to get you to heaven, that's not going to get you to heaven. Baptism comes after salvation, and that is in obedience to the Lord. If you really meant it that you was receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, then you follow in baptism, and the word baptizo, which was the Greek word that it comes from, means to immerse. That's why Jesus was immersed in water, to show us the way of righteousness that everyone should do that uh, believes in Him. And that's the way, way they baptize. Uh, there's Philip. He was out there, saw the Ethiopian eunuch, led him to Jesus Christ. And then his first statement after he gets led to Christ is, uh, there's some water over there. What hinders me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's go do it now. And they did. Now, today, some people have problems with that. Well, there wasn't a church there. We don't find it says the church had to be there. It just said that he followed in obedience. Listen, there, there are people throughout history that were put to death, being baptized in water. Uh, for example, the Romans, uh, Catholics, uh, back in the day, were when the, there are those that says you need to be baptized after salvation. Then we got named Anabaptist because we rebaptized them. They thought the baptism at birth was sufficient. And so finally they got so mad because it was growing, especially in Asia, it was starting to grow. And it was growing so much that they were sending out uh, armies and so forth of them, and they would kill them if they found them in the act of baptism. Uh, and so that was a thing. In Russia, if they went out and found people being baptized uh, out in a river somewhere, that uh, people had gone there, knowing that uh, it was against the Russian law to baptize or to worship God and things of that nature, they, they would go off out there, and that's where they'd baptize. Many times they they would drown those people. They'd get them, hold them under the water until they drowned. Said, you want to be baptized? Here you are. And a lot of times they would grab the preacher first and hold him under so that he would float down the river. Uh, and so that's just, uh, that's the attitude that's towards it. So when people were getting baptized publicly, they were taking a stand before anybody publicly that was around. Don't forget that Ethiopian eunuch uh, was a leader, and he had servants with him, probably not saved, but I tell you what, he identified with Christ before those people. And there was a man of God there baptizing them. And so you, you wonder, well, then does that count? Well, the Bible seemed to count it. God seemed to count it. Uh, so we're not going to allow some kind of a council to get together and tell us, well, they were all wrong. You know, the Bible has it right. And, and when somebody starts to bring up things that contradicts the word of God, realize 
uh, that you should just turn off that volume and turn it completely off and don't listen to that person. When they go against the Word of God, they're going against God. So, uh, what happens in these uh, situations then is that the, the ones who reject the Word of God will reject the holy things of God. They reject the holy things of God's standards. Now, there were good, saved Jews back in that day. But there were ones that were very worldly, perhaps not saved. And which, when your mind is in the Word and you meditate on the Word of God, you're going to live by it. You're going to live according to the Word and the Holy Spirit's direction through it. But if one gets caught up in that group that wants to be loved by the world, be like the world, and think like the world, they'll fall into a tainted faith. A worldly Christianity that you would think, though, how can we call it Christianity when it's not Christ-like? But they'll do that, and in their imaginations, they begin to have a goal in their life with that of being relevant to the culture, to being as they are. People aren't wanna, going to want to be saved. They're not going to want to have anything to do with God if we're not like they are. No, they ought to see that there's a difference between us and them and that what they have is leading them to hell and that they should want what we have. We need to demonstrate that to them in the way we live our lives. That is fundamental Christianity 101, okay? It's like a child doing bad things. He does it and then he gets sneaky about it. And the parent starts to catch on. What's going on? So the parent knows that, okay, probably getting ready to do this. They hide. And there that child goes in and starts doing that wrong thing. Aha! Gotcha! You know, and that little one starts crying and everything else. And, oh, I'm not so, so sorry. No, you're not. You know, <laughs> you're going to be sorry for what you're getting. You know, and, and so uh, the setting for verse 1 then is showing the world and the church both rebelling against God when God's people do the things of the world. See, when God's people are the same way, then they are part of it. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Now, we told you before this a few weeks ago that the Lord was in the Hebrew was the idea of Jehovah or Yahweh. And the anointed was referring to Messiah. Jesus Christ. So even in Psalms 2, 3,000 years ago, they were looking at Jehovah God and the Lord Jesus Christ. An example of the kings of the earth taking counsel against the Lord is when government tries to get in and drive the churches away or to stop their ministries at one time, uh, they were trying to stop door-to-door -door visitation. 
And actually, uh, I, I can call uh, Dave Gibbs III and say, would you send me down that uh, article uh, that you won in court, in Supreme Court, that uh, says about the right, according to our Constitution, to go door to door? Now, if somebody closes the door and says no, then, then yes, you walk away. They reject it. Yes, you walk away. You don't put your hand in their face and say, look, buddy, you're going to listen to me right now. No, you don't do that. Okay, I, I've heard of groups that do that. But um, uh, listen, you, you don't take counsel from the government. You take counsel from the Lord. Yes, the government sets laws and so forth. But if those laws interfere with the word of God, then the laws are wrong. The word of God is right. You always obey the word of God. Now, we had people, for example, that condemned us when we didn't close during the COVID stuff that was going on. They, they just condemned it. They said, you're to obey the law. The Bible teaches you that. What? Well, just simply said, well, the Bible teaches not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Now, do we obey God or do we obey man? We obey God. We obey God, and that's what we did. Okay, and that was our responsibility to do so. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting back then. They said, only essential services can be open. That's what the government was telling us. Essential services were strip joints and beer jo joints. Now, what does that tell you? They were protecting us? No. They didn't want the word of God being preached. Well, this shows us the worldwide action. Education, entertainment, government, media, and on we could go about that. They condemn various things about the standards, oh, they got a lot of churches now that have left the way of truth. And they're saying, you're a bunch of legalists there. Why? Because you go by the word of God. You're legalists if you obey God. And if that's the case, praise God, I'm a legalist. But actually, legalist is referring to working for your salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We work because we're saved. We have a Savior. We have a Lord. We have a God. That's the one we serve. And so we do that. And so you'll remember in the first coming of Jesus Christ, when did he come? Galatians 4, 4 tells us, in the fullness of the time. When sin was very rampant everywhere. When it was its hardest. And the world needed a Savior. They needed a Lamb of God. Jesus came in the fullness of of time, the fullness of iniquity. That tells us that in the fullness then of, of, of time, the meeting of sin, the Lord was trying to help them out then. And what happens then? Well, it's, it's very interesting. Herod tries to kill him, a king. Priest, priest were asked by Herod where Christ should be born. They said in Bethlehem, 
these wise men from the east had come and told Herod that we had followed the star, were come to see him, that's born the king of the Jews. He wanted that one eliminated right now. He tells the, the spy, what well, he called spies, or we thought they were spies, but wise men. He tells them, when you find them, come back and tell me. But he asked the priest, says, this man said he's come to see the Messiah. What, what do you know about that? Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, what? What happens? Well, the wise men go to Bethlehem. The priests don't care. The priests who should have been looking for the coming of Jesus don't care. He came in the fullness of the time. If you follow the example of Daniel's 70 weeks, you could actually go through those weeks and find out that near the time Jesus was born was fell right in line with those weeks. And, and yet... Uh, those priests weren't looking for that. They weren't looking for what was coming. So, they heard what was going on. The heathen people, religious people, both rebelled against him. The heathen, the Herods, tried to kill him. But the people, the priest, had nothing to do with him. And then later, it would be the people. Oh, yeah, people try to say, well, look, it was those Roman soldiers that did it. No. There were a lot of people of God that were there that did it. Now, there were a lot of Jews that were there that got saved under his ministry. They couldn't do anything about it. But they were at the cross. Mary was there at the cross. But understand, a lot of people who professed to be the people of God, did not stand up for Jesus. They weren't there for him when he was crucified. And so that's where it was then. And the people of God were in the same way. If you're saved, if you're saved, if you're truly saved, ask yourself, is your life is it more relevant to the world or is it more relevant to the Word of God? Now, before you say, well, I think it's more relevant to the Word of God, what's your scriptural basis for? I mean, I could say, I, I'll just put about two or three things out here real quickly that I could say that some would have a problem with that, and yet they say, hey, I'm living as a good Christian. Uh, today in our class, uh, Brother Woodard was pointing out about uh, some have used uh, there in, in, in Timothy chapter 3, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And they look at that as a reason that it's all right to drink alcohol. Now, the whole story to that is, is that Timothy was living near Ephesus. The water there was highly alkali. And so what they would do is that they would take the grapes, they would take that and they would mix it and they'd work on it and stir it into, with that water, into a syrup. And they would drink it. Why? Because their stomach was in trouble. They had stomach problems because of the highly alkali water. Do you know they did that up even to the early 1900s in that area? 
I mean, going back, there's records of it going back, but even up to the early 1900s, they were doing that in that area. Now think of that. And people use that. It's just like somebody saying, well, I see nothing wrong that it's a wedding or it's a great football victory or something like that. And we just have a drink of celebration. Have you ever had cough syrup? Then see, you had alcohol. Okay, then serve all your friends cough syrup. <laughs> see, I'm just trying to expose a lie when you're, when you're deceiving yourself with your own lie, you see. So, no, that's not it. But now people will get upset with what I just said. Okay, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves uh, together as a matter of some is. I don't have to be there every time the church doors are open. There's church service Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. I don't need to be there. Okay, but it's a sin. You're right. You've got a free will to obey or disobey God. You've got a free will. You're held accountable for your free will, whether you use it rightly or wrongly. You are held accountable. So as a Christian, I am asking that same question again. Is your life relevant to the world or is it relevant to the Word of God? So we can go on with examples that are similar to that. The priest feared that they would lose their place of preeminence in society if they go that way. Governments, in granting permits, now we found this out here, and churches, not, not just us, churches around other local governments will sometimes grant permits to people that they will not grant. Well, that church, they'll take their, they'll drag their feet. They'll eventually get to it, but they'll drag their feet on a church. Now, I, listen, I've talked to pastors and others. That, that, that is a normal thing that they do. Why? Because Satan tries to work to prevent it. And so that's why the leaders are gathering together to get a decision against the things of God and fighting the things of God. And so they do that. And so the world leaders today, with global warming, gender perversion, hatred of Israel, wanting to eliminate the Bible in public places, not wanting anybody to pray in front of a, an abortion clinic, put them in jail if they do. Hating anything that has to do with God or the will of God, should I say. Now, as a church, we know what it is to wrestle in things with governments, with building permits and so forth, and for organizations that get upset with us. For an example, we had just a year ago, as a church, but as citizens too, we met over here at the Old Forest High School take a stand against pornography in the schools, children's school, even elementary school. And they were down on us. One lady got up and said something about God 
whoever he or she is. And I wanted to say, you're the she devil. And, but I didn't. But nonetheless, that's the way it goes. You know, they, it's against God. It's in education. It's in government. It's in entertainment. I mean, did we turn the television on to realize that we're going to get spiritually edified? No. No, we don't. And so we see those things that are going on. Then there's the, not only the problems with the gender, there's the murdering, the cold-blooded murder of babies. And they're finding free rides from the same government, those government entities in America that we saw, or really, just four years ago, five years ago, that people funded by overseas multi-billion heirs can tear down buildings, burn buildings, take over government uh, places and, and, and structures, kill people, and there is no punishment. No punishment. But let a person pray at an abortion clinic and they're in jail. Let a person say a biblical truth publicly and they may get arrested or they may get mocked and warn people, avoid this heretic. He's crazy. He will do wild, bad things to your children if they hear him. Yes, he will. He'll get your children saved from sin. Taking them to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, the impact of those who uh, stood back in that day still stands today. Works get held up to all kind of hatred if our works are the works that God would have us to do. And by the way, this great nation was founded on the Bible, what we call the Judeo-Christian ethic, which is basically the Old and New Testaments. That's what they were founded upon. Okay? And they were honoring principles. Look, I've heard them say, I've, I've heard media people, other people say, the Constitution is a living document. And what they mean by that, that it changes with the culture. The Constitution was never a living document. It was built on the principles of God's Word from the Word of God, the Old and New Testament, not everybody was a fundamental independent Baptist back then that was part of it, but they referred to the Word of God. They were different, different denominations and faiths and things like that, but they used the Word of God and they were using principles of right that would apply to every, every generation. That's what it is. Eternal principles 
not something that bends to the winds that the devil is blowing toward it to agree with it. So there are very many things that the liberal media are in full rebellion against. And if any of this that I've said this morning offends you and you're named the name of Christ, please, please let me encourage you. Get right with God. Get right with God. Because if this offends you, I can tell you on the authority of God's Word, you're not right with God because God never justifies sin. Never does He justify sin. So, it's far better to be, well, let me say it this way. It's good to be an American. But it's far better to be a Christian American. And that's what we ought to be. So, let us break their bands asunder, he said in verse 3, and cast away their cords from us. As the church preaches righteousness, separation from the world, it will name sin, but false prophets, that is preachers, who walk not according to the righteousness and true holiness of God's Word and God's person, they will be also those same people that are loving the world and therefore the church is no longer holy. They've led their churches to be like the world, to be relevant to the world, to be as the world. And basically, you'll find that most of those preachers are just trying to be emperors building their own empire. Not building souls in the Word of God. Not leading souls to Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that we are, as Christians, to be Christ-like. One of the problems of America today is that my generation began the downward spiral. And quite a few of you out there are in my generation, so I'm speaking to us right now. We started rebelling against the standards. We let the things go. When our kids wanted to do those things, and then all of a sudden those things weren't so bad that we stood strongly against at one time. Now we don't take that stand. Well, you know, it's, uh, they're still good kids. They're still good Christians. Oh, they still love God. I think David loved God when he had a sin with Bathsheba, but he certainly broke down when he found, when he was confronted with it, wasn't he? Didn't he? He did. Just say that you love God doesn't make it right if you're not doing right. When churches want to be relevant to the world, when churches want to emulate the world in contradiction to 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, and listen to what it says. Listen closely to what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 17 says. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. 
in your ignorance. Isn't it interesting? When you begin to fashion, the idea of fashioning has the idea of emulating. Emulating the former life, but you're trying to make it look like it's Christian as well. That's what he's talking about. Okay, that's what he means. And he calls that in your ignorance. You were like that because you was a sinner, unsaved, and in your ignorance, that's the way you were. But now that you're saved, don't fashion yourself back to that thing. That's why we don't have rock and roll. That's why there's not a drum set up here on this platform. That's why we're not okaying going to the filthy things that they're having at the theaters and everywhere else around here. No, we won't okay that. And to do that would be ignorance. Don't do those things and try to make it sound like, well, it's all right because we're using Jesus' name. We're saying a prayer. Uh, no, you don't fashion to the world. You fashion everything after the word of God. Actually fashioning. He said there in our text, in that, well, I just read, fashioning. Hmm. I-N-G, showing it's a continual thing in which one takes their relationship with Christ to a level that, well, they were, before they're saved, they were that way. And but after they were saved, they decided they wanted to go back. They want to incorporate it, though, in a Christian way. There's not a Christ-like way for sin. Never has there been, and never will there be a Christ-like way for sin. And the coming of Jesus Christ will prove that. And so, the worship of His holy name is mocked, spat upon, And really mocked when we go away from the righteousness and truliness, uh, the holiness of this word and of its standards. So seeking to be a Christian and be a worldling at the same time is doomed for failure and it'll help you to win souls to hell that may have had a chance on hearing the gospel to get saved. Now look, folks, people go to heaven because they've got to admit, first of all, they're sinners. If we're trying to justify sin, then they're not going to look at sin as a reason to go to hell. Look, in hell, they're going to burn forever and they're not going to cease to exist. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're not going to cease to exist. They're going to be there forever and ever, their spirit will be there forever alive. Look, when you die, when this body dies, my spirit's going to be going to the Lord. It's not this body at that moment. At the resurrection, this body will raise up, but it'll be changed, likened to His glorious body. But if you're not saved, your body's, the only body you're going to have for that spirit that's been in hell is they're going to have a spirit, a body for your spirit that it will be chained in hell, never able to escape, tormented day and night forever and ever. You think I'm being crazy about that? You think I'm being ridiculous about that? Well, the rich man, unless you think Jesus Christ told a lie too. If you think Jesus Christ told a lie, then I'm going to tell you the lie that you think that he told. You think that he told a lie when he said, the rich man in hell asked, asked that 
somebody to be sent from the dead to his brothers to warn them not to come to this place. Well, folks, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that the people in hell that died without Christ heard the gospel but rejected it. They are there praying and crying out, please send somebody to my brothers, to my sisters, to my family, that they don't come to this place. Perhaps we need to have the heart of those in hell in our care for lost souls to see them saved. And so, yes, the Lord wants to save you. He said, if you come to him, he would in no wise cast you out. But what must you do? You must admit, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. We all have. I had to admit that. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was buried and rose from the dead. But every sin I ever have or ever will commit was placed on him. And he paid the penalty in full with the outpoured wrath of the almighty God, the Father in heaven, pouring out his wrath on his human spirit for me. And then three days later, bodily raising from the dead, showing that when he saves us, he can guarantee us everlasting life because he will take us up into a new body. That's his promise and God doesn't lie. Now my friend, if you haven't come to that point where you admitted I'm a sinner and that you want to be saved, that you want to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and, and, and him save you and you become his and he'll come he'll save you and he'll indwell you for all eternity but you must come to him if you're not sure you're saved if you haven't done that then today is the day now is the accepted time come to Jesus Christ let's bow our heads please now, Lord, in a moment, we're going to sing this hymn 665. I didn't ask for a show of hands of who's saved, who's not saved. I didn't ask for Christians to raise their hands about how you might have spoken to their heart. Lord, it's a very personal thing between each individual. God, we're just up here, Lord, for them to come. Here's the altar. It's your house. And it's the place that you first want them to get right with you. It's the first, it's the place that you want unsaved people. People are not sure there's, if they died, they'd go to heaven or not. To come down here, just to see me here at the front and tell me I'm not sure I'm saved so I can direct them to someone that will show them how to be saved. And then, Lord, for Christians to come up and just say, my, my life needs to get really right with God. I want to take a stand. I want from this day, I, I'm promising God, I'm standing up for Jesus, which means I'm turning away from those sins and those things that I've tried to justify. I'm turning totally to Jesus. And, and perhaps they would want someone to pray with them, Lord. If they'll just say, I want someone to pray with me as a Christian, I would sure do that. But Lord, whatever it is, I pray that they'd come as we sing the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.